listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. Time for view from Taiwan. Then Ross Feingold, director of research at Cyrus Consulting, joins in to talk more about what's happening in Taiwan. Ross, good morning. Good morning. All right, let's kick it off with semiconductors. We're talking Taiwan, so of course that's a, a very obvious starting point. And I want to talk specifically about Taiwan Semiconductor Manufacturing Company (TSMC). Uh, you know, we've seen semiconductor companies rally in the last uh, of, of six odd months. The, the, this year alone, you've seen spectacular returns coming in on names like Nvidia, which will also be releasing its earnings later today. Investors have been piling into TSMC. SMC, which also supplies those critical chips that needed for AI industry. Um, it's on the cusp of joining possibly the 10 biggest stocks in the world. Morgan Stanley has lifted its target price in the stock as well. What's your sense on um, you know how things are looking for TSMC? Do you think the valuations are looking fair? Are they stretched? Is there still money to be made here? Yeah, it's, it's amazing how TSMC just goes from good news to good news. Uh, this coming weekend, they're going to have a, a, a big launch ceremony at their first fab in Japan. Uh, Morris Zhang, the founder of TSMC, is expected to be there. Prime Minister Fushida is expected to be there. Even a, even a crown princess is supposed to come and help cut the ribbons. Uh, so they're, they're going from success to success, I mean, not only in Japan, but their Arizona fabs coming online, too. There's even some, some analysts who feel that TSMC is undervalued. That notwithstanding that it's it's gone up uh, 30% since last September. And as you said, it's about to crack the 10 largest companies by market cap across the world. As long as the outlook for uh, AI, and AI is going to drive things in the tech sector for, for the near term, as long as that outlook looks good, then uh, the OTSMC shares are probably going to continue to benefit from the, the really positive outlook on AI. You know, there was a period last year when people were a little down on tech, of course, and I think the list know that uh, the, the big uh, uh, buying spree that happened during COVID, work from home, et cetera, had, had ended. There was some inventory overhang in the consumer electronics space. But you know, if it's as you said, if you're talking semiconductors, you're talking to TSMC and it doesn't matter if, it, if it's mobile devices, AI, automobiles, their their customers are in all of these industries. And they're still even if demand slows down on one side, it's going up on another, just like we're seeing with with AI. So Right now, good news uh, for, for TSMC all around, and it looks like, uh, as you said, it might just keep going up, especially if uh, some of the talk on the street is correct, that it's even arguably undervalued. Right. And besides TSMC, I want to talk about a smaller name. I'm not really sure if you track it, MediaTek. Um, that's another semiconductor manufacturer based out of Taiwan. It's rallied over 45% in six months, which doesn't seem like a whole lot, uh, you know, especially seeing the run up in some of the other bigger names of late. But um, any any views on this name? Well, MediaTek, they benefit from uh, some of the latest mobile devices that are coming out. If there's good news for mobile devices, then MediaTek is probably going to uh, benefit from that. And there's been some good news recently uh, about uh, uh, some some companies ditching Qualcomm and going with MediaTek, and that's benefited. And MediaTek's benefited significantly from that. So it, it's it's also finding uh, you know ways to stay uh, on the good side of uh, investors and analysts, notwithstanding um, some of the consumer electronics uh, segments 
have, have gone a little soft over the last six months to a year. But there's still some good news in the mobile device side, picking up new customers, uh, MediaTek, that is, picking up new customers. And uh, it's benefiting from that. Right. Let's also talk about um, some of the labor market trends that Taiwan's been seeing. Uh, recently, there was um, reports that, you know, Taiwan could be looking at bringing in workers from India. Um, and those numbers were quite staggering. A hundred thousand workers was what was reported. And that prompted protests. I believe this was in December. But uh, while the government said that that's not the case, they did. Taiwan and India have signed an MOU recently on migrant workers. While the details are still being finalized, you know, in terms of which, how many people will be let in, which sectors would they be allowed to work? But what does that tell you about a potentially uh, skilled labor shortages? Is that what we're seeing? Uh, frankly, this might be more about unskilled than skilled. It might be more mm -hmm. workers for the construction sector, for example. Mm -hmm. And uh, Taiwan, over the last 10, 20 years, has had great difficulty finding blue-collar labor, uh, falling birth rate. People don't want to do these jobs, just like in a lot of other locations in Asia. So uh, historically, Taiwan has imported uh, blue-collar labor, factory workers, construction workers from Thailand, Indonesia, and the Philippines. Uh, I, I think this is more political, frankly. I think Taiwan is just looking to de in the relationship with India. Uh, if you want to be cynical, you could say it, won't, it doesn't hurt Taiwan to have a, a few tens of thousands of workers from other Asian countries here in the event that there's a war because it might prompt countries to try and come to Taiwan's assistance. Mm -hmm. uh, so there might be this uh, significant political angle to this move. But you're right, it, it did cause a lot of protests here. Uh, again, you know, Taiwan has, has, has had fairly successful and long-running programs importing labor from Indonesia, Philippines, and Thailand. So even myself, I'm questioning why, why they really need to go to a fourth source country when they already have three very good source countries. Uh, they could just hire more from the existing sources, rather spend a lot of time and effort setting up a new program with India. That's why I'm, I'm a bit of a skeptic, and I think this is more political uh, than anything. But Taiwan does need the labor. That's a fact. You know, they do have a shortage for factory, factory kind of jobs, construction jobs, uh, so they do need to import the labor. Right. Besides labor, let's also talk about cost of living as well as how real wages have played out. Uh, a recent survey said that 56% of uh, Taiwanese employees say they have been dealing with stagnant wages. Salaried workers say that, you know, they haven't seen a rise in wages for at least three years. This at a time when rental and property rates are rising. I believe the Taiwanese rent index hit a 27-year high in 2023. That's really putting such a financial strain on on people and consumers you know they're dealing with stagnant and stagnating wages in a time of rising cost I've been in Taiwan mm -hmm. nearly 30 years, and stagnant wages has been a topic of discussion for about the entirety of my time in Taiwan. It is true that wages in Taiwan uh, for white-collar jobs, they're, they're significantly lower than Hong Kong and Singapore, mm -hmm. uh, and certainly lower than, than Tokyo. Uh, and uh, over the last few years, that's been uh, also compounded by the rising costs of living and, and high inflation and housing costs going up significantly in Taiwan's major cities, not just in Taipei but in Taichung and Kaohsiung as well, anywhere near where tech hubs are, tech manufacturing, real estate prices have gone up significantly. Uh, you know, the, the, the government tries to say that it's not that bad. You know, inflation has, has, has slowed down and they're trying to do what they can to encourage uh, 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 you know, employers to raise wages. Government offers a lot of subsidies for things like childcare and housing as well. Uh, but, but this is just a, a trap that Taiwan seems to be stuck in, that wages 
wages remain stagnant and they don't keep up with the rising cost of living. It's probably why in the recent election, 60 percent uh, voted against the incumbent party. But mm. because a, a majority is an absolute majority is not required, the ruling party candidate was able to win with only 40 percent of the vote. I think a lot of the vote against him really was uh, economic related. Right. And before we, you know, let you go, Ross, a quick word on the latest overseas investment numbers that have come out uh, for January. Uh, Taiwan has a stated new southbound policy where they're looking to reduce the reliance on China uh, and, you know, enhance trade and exchanges between Taiwan and other nations in Southeast Asia as well as South Asia. And in January, you know, over 57 percent of outbound investments did uh, come in from other countries rather than the mainland China. So this seems to be bearing fruit. Yeah, they, they, that's uh, something the government likes to talk about. They like to talk about encouraging industry not to, quote unquote, put all its eggs in one basket, i.e. in the mainland. Um, so out of 542 million approved outbound investment, 50 percent of that, a, a little over 300 million U.S. was going to the so-called new southbound policy countries, which is ASEAN, Australia, India and a few others. Uh, so the government is happy about that. And, uh, you know, they could say Taiwan companies are doing their part for friend shoring or reshoring and, and not betting entirely on China. And as long as China's economy seems to be a bit soft, then we'll probably continue to see Taiwan companies putting more money in Vietnam, Thailand and other countries in Southeast Asia. Fantastic, Ross. We leave it there. Thank you so much for joining in. That's Ross Feingill and a view from Taiwan. Bye.